Good morning. Oh, that was nice and loud. Or it's loud to me up here. Does it, is it all right with everybody else? Okay, good. All right, so we're in Ezekiel. We're starting in chapters, uh, ch- chapter 33. Uh, Lord willing, we'll get through uh, chapter 39. Um, I think as Jerry Reed says, it's a, it's a long way to go and a short time to get there. So let's, let's see if we can make it. Um, what we've been looking at previously in the book, of course, the first 24 chapters deal with the prophecy of judgment against Israel because of the sins that they had committed, their idolatry worship, the shedding of blood in the land. And then we see the judgment upon the foreign nations in 25 through um, 32. And then also in 35, we'll, we'll read about, uh, see Edom again there. And, and also in 36, it talks about the other nations as far as the the judgment that will come upon them as well. So, But as we go through and look at this, uh, from a historical perspective, we know that um, Jerusalem was eventually destroyed by the Babylonians in around 586 B.C. And God, after the, the Persian Empire will take over, will take them back to the land of Israel in around 536. So these prophecies that we're looking at they're going to be looking forward to that time when they'll return to the land, which will be about, this is the 12th year of the captivity when he's prophesying, so it's, it'll probably be another 50 years before they actually go back. But, but also, as we go through and we read or we study, we'll get into chapter 34, and, and things kind of shift a little bit in, in that they're, we're not only looking at a restoration as far as a physical restoration where the children of Israel are going back into uh, Israel, but also there's, uh, I guess you could say, an eternal type restoration. So the, the focus is, is going to be kind of both. There's, there's a return to the land and there's also an eternal type uh, idea that, that's brought about starting in chapter uh, 34. So, starting there in chapter 33. So, this can be divided into two different sections. The first section is in verses 1 through 20. And so, as we saw earlier in the book in chapter 3, Ezekiel was called to be a watchman. Okay. So, this this was a person. So, a watchman is called to be a watchman. His, I, I guess it's, well, here it says Ezekiel's duty as a watchman is restated, like a man blowing the trumpet when he sees the enemy approaching, warning the people, verses 1 through 6, Ezekiel is to warn the house of Israel with the message uh, from God. Uh, we see that in verses 7 through 9. And there are some implications there, uh, whether or not he warns them or not, that's his responsibility. And so if he chooses to do that, uh, then he will be innocent, he will deliver his soul, but if he does not... Uh, warn the people, then um, his life, his soul is in jeopardy. Okay. In verses 10 through 11, so Israel now for the first time, I guess if we think back to chapter 18, there was that proverb that the the children of Israel had. It said, uh, our fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge and their thoughts were, okay, we're paying for the sins that our fathers before us had committed. Uh, but God says that each soul that sins is is accountable uh, for those. So he's trying to put an end to that. Well, if we look in verses 10 through 11, here Israel, 
they start to realize that the situation that they're in is due to their own sins. So this this is the first uh, point where we see um, them start to take, I guess you could say, ownership of the things that they've done. Uh, but the message from God is still the same. So the message that He gave them in chapter 18 was to do what? Do you remember? They were to, to turn and live because God saw no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Well, this is restated again here. So that's how they can live. So when they thought that all hope is gone, they're, they're in the captivity, they're there, they're scattered. Uh, but God says, well, you just turn, repent, you know, and start obeying His commandments, and then they would have life. And in 12 through 20, uh, we see that uh, uh, God's judgment is always fair. He goes through and talks about the the um, the wicked person. If he if he warns the wicked person and they turn from their sins, then they will live. And if the righteous person turns away from the the righteousness that he does and commits sins, that person will die. Uh, there is um, thoughts among the children of Israel there that God's ways is unfair, but he says that his ways are fair and their ways are unfair, and that he will judge each one according to their deeds. Uh, questions? Verses 21 through 33. So 21 through 22. So this, this is the 12th year, the 10th month, the 5th day. So... Israel, this is a year and six months, right at 18 months after Jerusalem has been destroyed. It was destroyed in the 11th year, the fourth month. So this is 18 months later. There is an escapee that comes from Jerusalem, makes it all the way to where Ezekiel is, and he confirms the word in that Jerusalem had been taken captive. It had been destroyed. All the people had been taken away captive and Probably only some of the poor of the land had remained there. But the words that he had been speaking uh, were confirmed in that. And also the evening before the hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel and he opened his mouth. So the next day when the escapee came, um, he was able to speak. I don't know if you remember back in chapter 3 where Ezekiel was to be mute except when God told him to speak and then he would speak and act and do only the things that God had wanted him to. So here, when the escapee returns, then his mouth is open and he's able to speak. So, which, you know, is just kind of a little bit more about, it gives, you know, the credibility of what Ezekiel's been speaking. Verses 23 through 29, the people remaining among the ruins. Okay, so when, when Jerusalem had been taken captive, there were some that had stayed among the ruins, and their thoughts were that they would take or dwell in or live or have the land there for themselves. Uh, but God says that they would not because they were guilty of the same sins that, that caused Israel to go into captivity. And because of that, the land would become a desolation. Verses 30 through 33, the words that Ezekiel spoke spoke were confirmed as the word of God. The people came to Ezekiel to hear God's word, uh, but they would not obey it. So after these things happened, it, it pretty much confirmed, okay, what Ezekiel was speaking the whole time was from the word of God. And then afterwards... Um, the people would come and listen 
they would say, come, let us go to Ezekiel to hear what the word of the Lord is. But whenever they came, they would hear, but they would not do it. They would not obey it. So uh, I think it says that they Ezekiel sounded like uh, a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. It says that uh, that's in verse 32. It says, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. So Ezekiel is, is established, his, his words are true, uh, but they're, they know it's from the Word of God, but they're not willing to obey it or listen to it. Okay? Thoughts? Chapter 33? So Ezekiel is restated as a watchman, and then also Jerusalem falls. Chapter 34? We see there, this is uh, two different sections as well. In the first section, we see uh, the, the evil shepherds of Israel there in verses 1 through 10. And there's a list of things on the paper here that says what these shepherds... Well, when we say shepherds, who are we talking about? Who are the shepherds of Israel? The kings, the leaders, yep. The ones that should be directing and taking care of providing for, leading them in, in the right way so that they can be blessed and that they can have life. But these evil shepherds, it, in, in verses 1 through 10, here are some of the things that they did. What was it that they did? Well, these evil shepherds, they, they ate the fat. And, and I guess if you go through and look at this, the shepherds are the people of Israel, the flock or the sheep are the people there. So we've got the leaders, we've got the people and the leaders were eating the fat. They were clothing themselves with wool. They were slaughtering the sheep, and they ruled them with force and cruelty. And what they did not do, they did not feed the sheep, the, the flock or the sheep. They did not strengthen the weak. They did not heal the sick or bind up the broken. Uh, they didn't bring those um, who were driven away, and they did not seek the lost. So you can see just how... Um, you know, things were and how they, they I guess, didn't do, uh, didn't live up to the responsibility that they had. And God would hold them accountable for this. There in verse 10, it says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. And also, God would cause them to stop feeding the sheep over in, in verse 10. Yeah, I guess we're still in verse 10 there, right? Okay, cause them to stop feeding the sheep. Well, I mean, they they weren't really doing that before, but it says that they were they would stop feeding the sheep uh, and that they would uh, feed them no more. And I will deliver my flock from the mouths that they may uh, no longer be food for them. And then in verses 11 through 24, so we're going to see this this comparison here. So we see the evil shepherds, and then. Here, starting in verse 11 throughout the rest of the chapter, we see uh, the example of the good shepherd. So, verse 11, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. So, God has said that that He will be their shepherd. He will seek them out. Uh, Also, going through from verses 11 through 19, some of the other things He will do. He said He will care for them. He will deliver them. He will gather them from where they are scattered. And He will also feed them on the mountains of Israel. So this is God going 
to, to search for his sheep and then bring them back. So they're in captivity and they're scattered throughout. Uh, just the location where Ezekiel is is not the only place where the captives are. They're scattered throughout the nations, Babylon being, um, I guess you could say, where a lot of them were. But he would bring them back. He would bring them into the land of Israel, and then there they would be um, his people. Okay, God was, okay. God will establish one shepherd over them. So starting in verse 20, Starting in verse 20, it says, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean, because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted the weak ones of your horns, and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall be no longer prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them, and shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David a prince among them, and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. So who is this this shepherd, the shepherd over them, my servant David? Who is this in reference to? Christ, right. Yeah, if we look over in chapter 37, I think it's in, the reference here is in 24 through 25. It speaks as, again, as David being a shepherd over them or... Yeah, a shepherd over them, and it talks about him being a prince uh, forever. So we know there's there's not another king that will be established here physically, I guess, that will rule over them, and certainly not David. But yeah, this is a reference uh, to Christ, and Christ would come much later. What, six hundred years later, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And their heart wasn't set on God. It, it, and it's interesting that you say that because later in one of the chapters that we'll we'll get to, uh, it's you know God goes to the to the point of saying you know I'm I'm not doing this because of you. I'm doing this to uh, to magnify, to glorify, to sanctify my name, which the children of Israel had profaned among the Gentiles. So. Instead of them being an example to the rest of the nations and, and being an example of how, you know, yeah, and how that they should glorify God, they didn't do that. So God is taking matters into his own hands and, and doing that. Yeah. Good. Okay. Other thoughts? Also in chapter 34, we see a covenant of peace uh, there in verses 25 through 31. So I will make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land. And it goes through and talks about some of the things that they would see from a temporal standpoint. Uh, some of these things would happen. They would have showers of blessings uh, and, and, and these sort of things. But also, if you go back over to chapter 37 and 26 through 28, it talks about this, this covenant of peace being an everlasting covenant. Um, so this is, you know, you can see these things, but it also it directs you not only in the physical blessings that they will receive in going back to the land, but also from an eternal perspective, which, you know, things that we can also have access to or enjoy that, you know, this, this covenant of peace, uh, which will come through Christ, 
as him being shepherd over his people uh, that, that we will enjoy as well. So it's also not only a, a, a physical, a here and there, here and there, but also an eternal um, thought. So thoughts about that? Yep, Daryl? Yeah, good. Yeah, it it makes me think of when Josiah was priest and they found this book in the temple and it was God's law. You know, they had gotten away from it and, yeah. Good. Other thoughts? Okay. All right, Uh, chapter 35. And and going throughout the rest of the, the text that we'll see there, you know, keep these things in mind, not only from, you know, God restoring or taking the children of Israel back into the land of, of Israel, but also the, the the eternal aspect here. So there's this one shepherd that God will appoint over them. Uh, there's this everlasting covenant of peace. And then if you look throughout the remaining, there are obstacles that God is removing so that they will be able to enjoy uh, that that peace. Um, so... In you know chapter 35, we and also in chapter 36, we see the removal of some of their enemies, the 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 kingdom of Eden or Edom, not Eden, uh, Edom, and the just also the restoration uh, from a physical and also spiritual standpoint. So just um, something to consider as we go through. So chapter 35, this talks about um, Edom. So we, we talked a little bit about it last week uh, from chapter 25. There's also uh, a prediction of the destruction of Edom. goes into a little bit more detail here. Uh, but it says that God will make Edom a perpetually desolate. Um, even today we know that, that Edom is just a memory. There's, there's no Edom um, to this day. But uh, he will make them perpetually desolate because through hatred they shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity. So they, they had no compassion there. They, uh, that's in verse 5. So at the time of their calamity, they were there to, to help, um, I guess, destroy, kill, take them captive, uh, or help the Babylonians. They also, in chapter 10, they tried to possess the land of Israel. So after they had been taken captive, so Edom has said, okay, they're, they're gone. Let's go in and take this land. It'll become my possession. And then also they were arrogant against God. So we see in verse 13 there, uh, it says, Thus your mouth you have boasted against me and multiplied your words against me, and I have heard them. So God is not happy with Edom there. He will make them a desolation. He will destroy them. And then in chapter 36, we see some of that same terminology going on through the first seven verses where it's not only Edom that he's talking about, but it's all the other nations. So God raises his hand in oath. I think that's found in verse 7 there. Uh, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath and a promise that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. So the things that they wanted to happen to the children of Israel will actually happen to them as well. Um, so they will be, um, I guess, made desolate. They will be um, judged and punished based on the things that they did. Verses 8 through 15. 
So here, Israel shall inhabit the land as former times and its, um, and rebuild its ruins. So God will allow them. So the, the enemies will be taken away. God will allow them to come back into the land and they'll be able to rebuild the cities. They'll be able to dwell there and it'll be just like it was in the former times. Uh, and I think maybe this is where it's the Garden of Eden mentioned here. No, I think it's a little bit later. Okay, but but the land, you know, I think when the nations pass by and they see that the land has been built and they will say, well, this desolate land is now looks like the Garden of Eden. And then because of that, they would then know that the Lord had done this, had uh, had brought them back, had orchestrated this. Okay, so they will go back, inherit the land, rebuild it as in old times. And then in verse 16, there's kind of a historical perspective here where... Uh, we're reflecting back on the things that were done, and Israel is compared to. Um, well, I'll just read it here. It says, verse 17, uh, Son of man, the house of Israel dwelt in their own land. They defiled it by their own ways, deeds. To me, there were, uh, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury upon them. Um, for the blood that they had shed in the land and for their idols which they had defiled it with. So this punishment was brought up on them because of the, the sins they had committed and their, see the comparison that God makes there. Uh, but getting down into verse 20, however, uh, he had concern for his holy name whom Israel had profaned among the nations. So even with all of these things, not acting that the way that they should have... Um, you know, God was concerned because Israel had profaned his name among the Gentiles. So, um, getting into verse 22 then. Uh, God will sanctify his great name by gathering Israel from among the nations and bring them back to the land. So in verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. He says, I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nation, the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. So God will is taking action into his own hands, and he will be hallowed whenever he brings them back. Also, in verses, starting in verse 25, uh, he will cleanse them. He will cleanse them of the sins that they had committed. And he will give them a new heart and a new spirit. Uh, talked about that heart. Uh, what What is their heart set on? Sorry? Right, a heart of understanding. Right. And he'll also take away that heart of stone, that heart of, uh, I'm sorry? Yeah, rebellion and, and hard-heartedness. Yep. He'll give them a heart of flesh. Yep. Direct them. And then in doing so, he will cause them to walk in his statutes. So we read about this a little bit in, in chapter 18 as far as the new heart. And then also I think it was in the temple vision, maybe chapter 11, where we talked about God giving them a new heart. Um, but, you know, God is taking the initiative to make this happen, but also they have to have some initiative of their own as well. Right. Right. Yeah, they have to be willing to, to turn to God, right. Good. 
Okay. And then they shall dwell in, in the land, and he shall be their God. And oh, let's see. He will be their God. Verse 30. Make sure I'm in the right chapter here. Okay. All right. They shall dwell in the land, and he shall be their God. They will remember their evil ways, and then they will loathe themselves. That's in verses 31 through 32. So once they get back there, they will look and remember the things, the wicked, the wickedness or the, the sins that they had committed that led them into captivity. They'll remember that when they come back to the land, and they'll just... They'll just loathe or what's, is that hate? They'll just hate themselves because of the sins that they committed. And they would know that the Lord is God. And, and the reason that he had done that was uh, because of their sins. Come. Sorry? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good reading through this book. You know, as as I've read through it and I've studied and I've learned, it, it it applies to so many, you know, to so many things today. It applies to me so much, you know, and it applies to us, you know. Like you said, the the arrogance there. We don't want any of that. We need to have a heart that's set on following God. Um, you know, not to do our will, but to do His will. Um, and we see that God will will punish that, you know. So. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. So we'll be held accountable uh, as individuals. Good. Other comments? Okay, we are in chapter 36 still. 37 through 38, uh, verses 37 through 38 and 36. It says, uh, comment here, Those that pass by will see the land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. So that's in verse 33. Yep, we'll read that then. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I will cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, This land has was desolate, has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. The nations which are left all around shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places, and have planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. So, you know, just just another, you know, cause to remembrance here. God, God is in control. All these things are happening. He is allowing it. He's He's orchestrating all this. So He's taking them away captive to punish them. He's bringing them back, and everyone will know. And then also when they get back, verses 37 through 38. Um, God will hear their prayers. He will answer their prayers. Um, and then He will also increase um, the, the men. Me, the, so we've been talking about a flock, but you know the flock or the men, the, the, the people. Uh, so He says that He will increase the flock um, just like um, the flock offered as holy sacrifices like the flock of Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be... Filled with flocks of men, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, questions? Thoughts? Good comments, by the way. Appreciate the comments that everyone's making. Okay, chapter 37, probably the most well-known chapter in Ezekiel. Uh, there are two, there, there was actually one vision here. It's the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. And then we also have 
the putting together of the two sticks. All right. All right, verses 1 through 14. So we'll get right into the vision here. So starting verse 1, Ezekiel is taken. He's set in the midst of a valley of bones, and he's caused to pass by and to observe. So he's able to go through and to look and to observe, and his observation is, uh, is there are very many, and they're very dry. So uh, God asked him if... The bones can live. So God asks if the bones can live, and Ezekiel responds, O Lord God, you know. Uh, That's in verse 3. Verses 4 through 5, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones that they might live. Uh, In verse 7, Ezekiel prophesies just as he is commanded, and then there's a rattling of the bones, and they come together bone to bone. They come together in, in, I guess you could say, the perfect way, the way that they're supposed to be assembled. Uh, God will do this perfectly. So they come together bone to bone. And then the sinews and the flesh come upon them and then skin covers them. But there's no breath in them in verse verse 8 there. So we have a bunch of cadavers laying around in the field. And then um, Ezekiel prophesies to the breath. He's commanded to prophesy to to have the breath to come upon them uh, from the four winds that they might live. He does this. The breath came into them. And they lived and stood up on their feet. That's in verses 9 through 10. And then 11 through 14, God is going to explain exactly what this vision means. So God explains that the bones are the whole house of Israel. They thought that all hope was lost, uh, but God will cause them to come up from their graves and bring them into the land of Israel. And God will put His Spirit in them and they shall live and they will know uh, the Lord has spoken and performed it. Okay, thoughts? Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, and it's interesting. So their, their sin is what has separated them from, them from God and put them into captivity. They're being punished for that. And then, so I guess you could say as a nation, the nation is dead. You know, there's no way it should have come back from, I guess you could say, death, right? But but God is the one that allowed this, that did this, that, you know, brought them back. So he revitalized or brought them back to life and giving them breath, uh, giving them life. So, you know, I think from our perspective, as well, you know, sin separates us from God, and in order for us to be reconciled to God, it's it's only something that God can do. You know, uh, I, I guess you could say, you know, through baptism, you know, we're created in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's only something that God can do. So, and then also when we fall away, it's it's God that forgives us uh, of our sins. So God has to be there in order for us to get back into that right relationship. Hmm. Yeah. 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 It, it's only God that can do it. Yeah. Good. All right. And then uh, quickly, 15 through 28, this is the joining of the sticks. So Ezekiel is told to take two sticks. And 15 through 20, he's told to take two sticks, write on them, one uh, for Judah and the other one for Joseph, uh, symbolic of the two different kingdoms, the, the or I say kingdoms, but the uh, tribe Judah and Israel. So... 
uh, he's to join them together and they will become one in his hand. Uh, God will take, God says that he will take both Judah and Israel and they shall become one in his hand. Uh, in 21 through 23, it says God will take uh, the children of Israel from among the nations, make them one nation in Israel and have one king over them. And God will cleanse them and they shall be his people and he shall be their God. And again, 24 through 28, we see uh, David here again. So, okay. So, from, I guess that, that uh, that's the second bell, right? That means we've got 20 more minutes, right? Uh, okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, just, just thinking about that everlasting covenant, that, that king that will rule over them for eternity. So these are everlasting or eternal uh, things to consider there. So we'll pick it up there next week.